Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. This week's show is going to be wicked good. It's episode 288 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and things are getting double creepy this week. And we be talking to David S. Malchin, actor and writer, producer, filmmaker, about Count Crawley, Reluctant Midnight, Monster Hunter. That's his brand new series from Dark Horse Comics. And also, I mean, the guy's going to be in the Suicide Squad movie coming up with James Gunn. He's going to be in Dune and a bunch of other stuff. We'll see how much we can get him to talk about that as well and speaking of super fans this week the show is brought to you by indiana university press and a great book that they've got coming up the boy who loved batman a memoir by michael e uslin and yes that name should sound familiar and you'll find out why a little bit later on in the show but there's really a ton that i need to talk about this week we'll start off with comics and yes a little count crawley early on before the interview it's what we're reading next on the down and nerdy podcast Hey, this is comic book writer Steve Orlando, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Whether you're bagging and boarding or downloading and storing, whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And yep, I'm going back to the year of the villain, back to DC, this time for a book that we previewed on our website, actually, downandnerdypodcast.com. Black Adam year of the villain, number one, from Paul Jenkins, that's guy doing the writing, Inaki Miranda on the art, Hi-Fi on the colors, Tom Napolitano on letters, and a great cover by John Romita Jr., Klaus Johnson, and Alex Sinclair. Now, a little bit of spoilers if you haven't been re- reading what's been going on in Batman Superman, and that is Shazam. Now is now infected Shazam, thanks to the Batman Who Laughs. So it's almost like the Batman Who Laughs version of Shazam. I was calling him the Shazam Who Laughs, but apparently it's infected Shazam, so we'll go with that. Now, he's on his way to Kandak for a showdown with Black Adam, But there is way more to it than that. This isn't just a physical confrontation, by the way. If you've seen what Infected Shazam's been doing, you know that the days of rooting for him are kind of over at this point. I mean, the character almost tries to be likable, but you you just can't. You, You can't like him and you can't root for him. And it's hard when you're talking about Shazam. Now, in this scenario, the tables actually get turned a little bit. The realizations that Black Adam comes to are really kind of quite stunning, and I don't want to say out of character, but but certainly not what you'd expect, especially in a book that you know it says you're the villain and his name is in the title. This could actually set up a very interesting future for Kandak and the in in their leader. So this book lays possibly some groundwork that if it becomes canon. I mean, even for a little bit, that could be very, very interesting. And I could, I, I would wonder how this would play in an ongoing title, but that's just me. But there's a lot of, you know, th- there's a lot of interaction between Black Adam and his inner circle, and then Black Adam and Infected Shazam, Infected Shazam and the people. It's a really interesting read throughout. The art is good, but it really shines when they get the close-ups. I mean, the closer you get, the better the art is in this book. By the way, props to Tom Napolitano for lettering this book to fit the two distinctive voices 
that are given to both Black Adam and Infected Shazam. It really gives the readers a different voice in their head, too. When you're reading this, you've got a voice in your head, whether it be a famous actor that's played a role or something like that. And, you know, when all the typeface looks the same, when all the lettering looks the same, I'm not saying it's hard, but, you know, it's better when you've got something, an inflection can be changed by what the typeface looks like. So I think, great job on his part for that. Now, I would have, I would have liked to see a little bit more actual fighting between Black Adam and Infected Shazam, but I'm willing to overlook that if the outcome that they have in this leads to a very different kind of story going forward. So that's my, that's my only thing was that there wasn't a whole lot of action. There were certainly some entertaining moments in the book. I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, if this, if the payoff for this is what's going to be happening in Black Adam's future, then I'm all in for it. So yeah, definitely pick this book up. Buy this one. You're the villain. Black Adam number one. It will certainly pique your, pique your interest, especially if you're already a fan of those characters. Now it's time to turn on to Late Night Creature Feature. That's right, it's Count Crawley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, number one from Dark Horse Comics. David Desmalchian on the writing, Lucas Kettner on the art, Lauren Aff on the colors, and Fank Vetek. I'm going to go with Vetek for the letters. Sorry about the name butchering there, Frank. Now, this is a story about Jerry Butler, who is a field reporter for a local news station who just couldn't help but cross the line during one of her live hits. That's what you call it in the biz, live hits. And when, when it's live, you know, and stuff happens, you can't get that on the editing floor, people, and you kind of can't take it back once it's on television and it's on tape. Now, she's forced to make kind of a tough decision about the path of her career, in a manner of speaking anyway. I mean, think about it. When the bills are piling up and... There's something that's on the table. You don't want to do it, but you kind of have to do it. And it becomes pretty obvious what she needs to do at a certain point. Now, obviously, and this isn't really a spoiler, is that she takes over as host of the Count Crawley show at the station after the old host just sort of stopped showing up for work, which, you know, can happen. But, you know, nobody seems to be very concerned that the previous host didn't show up for work, too, by the way. And, and we kind of see... This is one of those stories where in the very, very beginning, you get something that's later on in the story, and then they go back to it. At the end of the story, it's like, here's what happened earlier in the day, or here's what happened yesterday. So you kind of know that something's up already, right away when you read the book, and then you sort of get this, an interesting set of circumstances between then and, and the end. Now, she would quickly find out exactly that there's much more to this gig than just introducing crappy movies crappy horror movies that are on late at night. Yeah, there's way more to it than that. And it it, can get, it got pretty intense pretty quickly, not going to lie. I mean, this was a very fun read from start to finish, to finish actually. Now, Jerry isn't really all that likable and isn't all that much of a catch, but damn, she's entertaining. I mean, it's, it's like if you saw this person, if you saw her as an anchor or a field reporter or even as Count Crawley in TV, you'd be entertained. It's like, you know, the ones that love you, love you. The ones that hate you, they hate you. But they're still watching and they're still calling. And that's, you know, kind of one of the important things in the biz. And that's who that's what Jerry represents for the, both the reader of this book and for the bosses that she's working for in the book. I mean, it, it definitely had a few good laughs for me when I was reading this. And the art was solid. 
to boot. So it's almost like you read and count crawling. You go, what's not to like? I mean, it's it's a fun story. There's certainly something going on. It's very intriguing. You've got Jerry, who's kind of a mess, but at the same time is very, very entertaining. And almost almost reminds me uh, in a very, very, very different way, because certainly different set of circumstances. But Dex from from Stumptown, kind of along the same vein where where it's like, yeah, she's really good at her job, but she's, you know, kind of a mess and not really a catch, even though you do root for Dex. So that that is the one difference. I, I always root for Dex, whereas Jerry, it's like, okay, Jerry, you're inflicting a lot of punishment on yourself for what seems like no reason whatsoever. And then, you know, maybe there's an addiction problem here, here and there. So we'll just have to see how her story unfolds now that she's taken this new gig and actually how long she wants to have it anyway. So, I mean, I was highly entertained by Count Crawley, mi- Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, number one. So I'm going to keep going with this one. This is a poll for me. Throw it in the poll box, and we'll see what happens in the next couple of issues. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, it's time to head to HBO and talk about the series premiere of Watchmen, full of spoilers. It's coming at you on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Lily Mirajnik from Happy. You're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So judging by the numbers here that have been put out, you have certainly watched The Watchmen, the first episode from HBO anyway. And hey, it's time for my spoiler-filled review of the first episode of Watchmen. And I got to tell you, this it definitely is a departure from the source material. And by the way, spoilers again, if I, if I need to say it again, spoilers from here on out on the first episode of Watchmen from HBO. But yeah, this is definitely a departure from the source material. And this picks up... You know, way after, like, you know, Robert Redford elected as president, and then you've got, you know, Jeremy Irons' character, by the way, yet was exactly who we thought he was going to be, Adrian Asmandius Vedit. And, I I mean, he so he's still around, and, I mean, he's like, he wants to, to produce plays now or something like that. It's really, really weird. But anyway, this, right away, this episode tells you that this is going to be a different kind of show the the reenactment of the Tulsa massacre from the 1920s again that's something that's not in a lot of history books boys and girls so maybe you learned about that from the first for the first time and and how horrific it was and you see you know a couple of children get saved from that as as adults are being mowed down and that's before we even get to the present day now in in case you you're not familiar with what happened basically we, they, the world now is, is a little bit different. It's almost like an offshoot because, you know, police officers have to wear masks because, you know, they're trying to keep their identity secret so they can keep themselves safe from basically a group called the 7th Cavalry. And it's the Warshak Gang, basically. And it's based, it's exactly what you think it is. It's the counter narrative to the Redford presidency, but was picked up by this white supremacist group who is using it now as their manifesto to take out the police. And it's just, it's very odd and jarring to see these police officers basically have to put these masks on. And it's it's interesting because this show tackles a lot of different things. It tackles policing. It tackles, you know, lawmaking. It tackles race relations. It tackles the gun control issue. To a certain extent, like having to have having to radio somebody as a policeman 
to be able to get your firearm to be unlocked because the situation has to be just right for you to be able to use your firearm. And it ends up costing him his life. And, you know, I'm not trying to start a debate on the gun control issue here, and that's not where this review is going to go. But, I mean, certainly this is one of the things that great TV is supposed to do is create discussion. And that's exactly right off the bat for a couple of different reasons that Watchmen does and is not afraid to do either, by the way. And then you see how that affects Don Johnson's character, Judd Crawford, you know, kind of the head of police. I don't even know if it's appropriate to be calling them chief, him the chief of police. I mean, I guess you could call him the chief, I mean, at this point, right? But then, you know, you see that investigation start as to how that ended up happening. And then we get introduced to Regina King's character, character Angela Abar, who's also, you know, of course, Sister Knight, if you want to put the put the name on it. So not only is she just a kick-ass character, I mean, when, when, when you see her suit up, she is all business. But, you know, at the same time, she's a mom and she's she's a wife and she's trying to lead a normal life for herself and her family, too, by the way. And she's kind of doing this all in secret, or at least it seems like, from her family, too, in, in, in having the Sister Knight persona. And, she, and she's working very closely with Crawford to take down this 7th Cavalry gang. And then it all starts with the shooting of a Tulsa police officer. So this whole thing goes down and they and they think they track them down and they're trying to figure out exactly what they're doing. And maybe they're building some sort of a bomb and there's a firefight. And, and there's just a lot of crazy stuff that's happening in the middle of this of this episode. And and some of it can get very, very uncomfortable at times too. Am I right? I mean, it's, it's sometimes it was really, really hard to watch this show because of the intense stuff that was going on. But by the way, that's a good thing. And again, this is something that should make you feel uncomfortable at, at times. And it should make you want to spark some discussions as well. And I think that, I mean, Damon Lindelof did a fantastic job at putting this first episode together because it grabbed your attention and had a couple of great callbacks, especially one of the boys that was saved at the beginning of the episode. Looks like he might be the old man that, again, spoiler alert, murders Crawford at the end of this episode and, you know, doesn't seem like he's part of the 7th Cavalry, but we don't know that because that's the cliffhanger of the episode. And that doesn't seem to make sense, but, I mean, that could be, you know where they are right now. But this show had plenty of hooks. It had plenty of surprises in one episode. It had very thought-provoking storytelling going on. It was a little funky and weird at times, too. So, you know, it kind of keeps you off balance. And it, it, it was engaging. It was one of those things where you know how much you really like a show and how engaged with it you have to be based on what you do with your phone while you're watching it. Am I wrong? There are certain shows that, you know, you don't feel like you have to be completely locked into. So, you know, you're scrolling through your phone or something like that, whether it be on social media or something else. Or you're, you're playing, a, playing a game that's basically just kind of a mindless game while you're watching TV. If you have your phone down for the vast majority of a show that you're watching, that's a good sign. And for me, that's how it was when I was watching Watchmen. As a matter of fact, there was a couple times I had to stop to take care of my newborn son. So I had to stop watching the show and I could feel myself wanting to get back to what was going on in the show because that's how compelling it was. And the performances, by the way, were fantastic, not just from Regina King and Don Johnson, who I thought the two of them 
really, really stole the show in this first episode. But Tim Blake Nelson's Wade character as well, Looking Glass, first of all, his mask for some reason creeped me out the most. Don't ask me why, but it was his mask that creeped me out the most because most of the officers just have the yellowish-orange masks that they put over their mouths, and that's it. And then they have their regular uniforms and stuff like that. But no, his was like this the the shiny, silver, weird. It was just very, very weird. And then, of course, you had Panda, who literally wore a panda mask. So that was, you know, kind of entertaining in its own way. But it's funny how, you know, you have these, you know, we have to follow these rules. And then, you know, you, you, you find loopholes to not have to follow the rules because there's a job that needs to be done. But then all of a sudden you also realize that maybe the 7th Cavalry aren't the only ones out there that are doing bad stuff. And since it didn't seem like they were responsible for Crawford's murder at all, though that's kind of what you felt like at the time. First of all, why did Crawford go alone? That's the thing that drove me crazy. That he decides, yeah, I'm fine. I'm the chief of police. I'm just going to go on my own to go to the hospital and talk to this officer now that he's awake, make sure everything's okay. So he goes on his own and he ends up dead. That's just, it did not seem smart for a lot of reasons. And even his wife knew that to be going up there on his own, but he did it anyway. And yet, you know, the rest is kind of history. So what happens to him is a big part of what's going on here. The true motivations of the seventh cavalry and are they really back and what are they doing back after the long hiatus? That is another thing. You got to find out how long that Angela can kind of keep things from her family. And now that things have definitely been, Kicked up a notch, or does her husband Cal, who's played by uh, Abdul Mateen II, again, who did a great job in this episode, does he know? Because you know, you, you know, they, she kind of, you see him arm himself, or you see Angela give him a weapon and say, if anybody comes up here, shoot him if they're not me. So maybe he does know a little bit more th- than we've let on. But the, the, again, there's just so many things going on in this show. And a lot of them seems like it seems like it's storytelling that's really going to matter for a lot of different reasons and tackle a lot of different societal issues while still telling, quite frankly, a comic book esque story. Because I hate the fact that, you know, I hate the whole, oh, this is a comic book show or this feels like a comic book show. No, great storytelling is great storytelling. And, and Watchmen, even though it's certainly deviating from the source material, although that kind of remains to be seen, especially with Jeremy Irons' character here coming up. We're not exactly sure how that thing is going to play out but with uh, Adrian Vedit. But at the same time, great storytelling is great storytelling, right? So to put a label on it like that, saying, oh, this is a great comic book show, or, oh, it was, well, it's a comic book show. Yeah, and there are certain elements of that. Like, you don't see squids raining from the sky every day. Okay, you don't see that. But what you do see is great storytelling and storytelling that matters and really just something that grabbed your attention and wouldn't let go right away. That's what the first episode of Watchmen did for me. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Indiana University Press and their new book, The Boy Who Loved Batman, a memoir by Michael E. Uslan. Now, if that name sounds familiar, he is basically being the executive producer for every modern Batman movie starting with the 1989 Batman movie with Tim Burton and Michael Keaton. And basically this is a book almost written as if we wrote it ourselves as someone who loves Batman and basically an insider's view of making 
the Batman movies and, I mean, going from reading comics. I mean, this guy was a comic book fan. Then he actually was a professor of comic books in a college and then just bringing Batman to the big screen. It's And it goes in-depth in all that. Plus, I mean, there's really some great chapter titles in here. Like one of them is, you still read comic books at your age and stuff like that. And another one is, is dead parents. And, and well, you know, you're talking about Batman. So it's hard not to kind of talk about that in a tongue in cheek sort of way. But I mean, it's, you're geeking out as you're reading this because it's almost like you're reading a story that you would love to be able to tell. Like you would, you'd probably really love to be a part of every Batman movie, and here's someone that actually got a chance to live that and actually is telling the story from a fan's perspective, really. It's just like the super fan that got to live out their dream sort of thing. Plus, there's all kinds of great comic book clips in there as well that you love and all kinds of great photos in there to look at as well. If you love Batman, this is definitely a must-read. And right now, for a limited time, Red Lightning Books and Indiana University Press are offering a special discount code available for listeners here of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. For 30% off your copy of The Boy Who Loved Batman, go to www.iupress.indiana.edu and use code BATMAN. That's www.iupress.indiana.edu for 30% off discount at checkout. Guys, you're going to want to definitely read The Boy Who Loved Batman, a memoir. I'm not all the way through it yet, but what I've read so far, I have really, really enjoyed it. It's really, really hard to put down. Hopefully, you'll enjoy it as well. That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of the season one premiere of Watchmen from HBO. Up next, some interesting nerd news to tackle. We'll do it on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is cartoonist Scotty Young, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Never mind the end of an era, it's the end of a saga. It's time for nerd news. You knew I wasn't just going to let this go by. Not talk about the final trailer for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, right? Coming out on December the 20th. And by the way, really quick, do we even need Star Wars trailers ever? I mean, just tell me when it's out and I'll go. I don't need to be convinced to go see any Star Wars movie. I didn't need to be convinced to get Disney Plus just to watch The Mandalorian. That's not the only reason I'm getting it, but it'd be a damn good one if it was, right? It's Star Wars. If you love Star Wars, like I love Star Wars, you're ju- you're just going to watch it. Even if you think it's going to suck and you're going to hate it, you're going to watch it because it's friggin' Star Wars and this is the last movie in the Skywalker saga, we think. Well, let's, you know, let's not completely put that to bed just yet because a prequel series is blah 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 but anyway that's that's a different discussion for a different day let's talk about what we saw in the trailer and yeah you're seeing a lot of characters pop up yes you've got leia there you've got you know billy d williams we've got you know lando is back and all these different things and that's all great but let's talk about the main parts of the trailer first of all c3po's line ripping our guts out you had to get teary-eyed when Poe says, what you doing there, with 3PO? And he says, taking one last look at my friends or something like that. That gutted me as a fan, a lifelong fan of these movies. And, I, and I'm worried now that something's going to happen to 3PO, like, like really happen. Although, if you think about how long he's been around, 
and the stuff that he's been through, it's pretty remarkable. But at the same time, does that doesn't mean I'm ready to just wave goodbye to C-3PO completely. So, And then you see, like, it's kind of his head sort of sticking out a little bit. He's got He's clearly got some sort of damage or something. So I'm, I'm worried for 3PO. At this point, I'm super, super worried. Well, yeah, you know, a lot of this is going to center around, you know, what you would think it would center around. And it's like, that's the question surrounding Ray, Kylo Ren, and Emperor Palpatine. Who, by the way, thank you so much, Disney, for validating an argument that I've been making for like two decades. That Palpatine was not dead. That he's been alive this entire time. You know how many people I had tell me? Well, he's dead. He got thrown down. You saw the energy blast come up. He's dead. No. Unless you see a body in a sci-fi or a comic book related series, that person is not necessarily dead. Sometimes even when you see a body, that's not enough to say that they're dead. Okay? So, I am so glad that I was right about that. And we see him in what appears to be like the coolest wheelchair ever. You thought the thinker's chair was awesome on The Flash? The Emperor has certainly been an upgrade wherever he's been hiding. He says, I've been waiting for so long for this moment. And all this other stuff, right? I know I do a terrible Palpatine, all right? But at the same time, you know, apparently he's been somewhere and he's, you know, been on Amazon because he's made some upgrades. Let's just face it. And you see that he's kind of facing off with Rey, or maybe he's not. It apparently seems like... Palpatine's idea was to have Rey and Kylo meet and then that's going to bring about the destruction that he wants. So apparently this is something that the Emperor set in motion and this is something that he wants. Or at least that's what the Emperor is going to tell you. Anyway, there's been a lot of debate on social media as to who the bad guy is here. Is it Kylo or is it Rey? Because, you know, these trailers are starting to try and throw you off, right? And the first looks they had at D23 where it's like, where Ray's talking about how how people think they know me, they don't know me, you know, like, you know, like a young person might say at certain points. I don't know if that's just a, let's try and fuel the rumor and and see what happens, but we're, you know, ultimately going to stick to the narrative that we've had. That doesn't mean that Ray couldn't take a little bit of a turn. She's got some anger issues to deal with, right? So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. I'm not saying that it's an impossible thing that Ray would go to the dark side and turn, okay? I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm also not saying that it's impossible that Kylo Ren could save the day. I just think that it's a red herring that's not going to end up being anything at the end of the day because it's going to be Ray trying to stop Kylo, trying to stop the Emperor, and I'm sure that Finn will be involved because it seems like Finn is going to be involved a little bit more, right? And obviously, you know, the entire, you know, rebellion is going to be involved as well and it's going to be a final showdown there's no doubt about that but this whole maybe ray is the one that's really on the dark side thing ah, i don't know about that i understand what they're trying to do here with these trailers but i mean De- december 20th we'll know for sure it'll be fun to, to to debate for now but december 20th is when we're going to find out hopefully you've already gotten your tickets for star wars rise of the skywalker because I, I'll be honest, I don't have them yet, but I'm not sweating it. I, I know I'm going to be all right. I, I'll, I'll get to see it opening weekend, no problem. Here's something you're not going to see anymore, and that is Jeff Loeb with Marvel TV. This is kind of a dual story between Variety and The Hollywood Reporter, who have kind of put different pieces of this story together. And that is that, you know, with Kevin Feige, 
coming in. That means Jeff Loeb kind of no longer necessary at Marvel TV, or at least they think so. And Jeff Loeb is going to be exiting. Looks like sometime around Thanksgiving is when he'll be out. Now the reports are saying, first of all, Marvel hasn't commented on any of this. That Loeb was going to be leaving in November anyway, and that this was planned before the whole Feige thing, taking over as chief creative officer of pretty much all of Marvel Creative. And to that, I say, okay, whatever you say. I mean, if you found out that some dude that was basically... I'll tell you that just from my personal opinion, the Marvel TV folks were frustrated by the Marvel Studio folks because the Marvel Studio folks basically... Seemed like they were zero help. It's like everything had to be connected, but at the same time, they weren't able to, you know, lend any characters or even really lend a hand to the TV projects to help them out and boost them up a little bit. They were just kind of the annoying little brother that was allowed to tag along in the story that they thought was so awesome over in Marvel Studios. That's just my opinion on how it seems like, you know, people might have felt over there. And I'm not putting words in Jeff Loeb's mouth at all. Never once did Jeff Loeb say that or even suggest that to me. But at the same time, there's got to be a frustration there. And then when you find out that not only is Feige going to continue in that role, but now he's going to be the boss of creative of live action television as well. Yeah, I wouldn't want to stick around for that either. So whether it's before or after, I don't blame Jeff Loeb one bit for trying to move on and do something else. And before you say, hey, Marvel TV is going to be better off in live action because what have they done? What did they do under Jeff Loeb? I'm just going to rattle off a quick list. Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Defenders. I don't care whether or not you liked it. It was That is a huge, huge thing that happened. Punisher, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, which is still a huge fan favorite, even though it was canceled way too soon. Cloak and Dagger. I mean, do I need to keep going? Because there's been a lot of success for Marvel TV. Under Jeff Loeb, you just might not realize that the guy has actually done a really, really good job. Not sure certain you know seasons of Agents of Shield were up and down, but largely, I mean, think about where where we'd be without those Marvel Netflix shows. Where would we be without the partnership between Marvel and Hulu that's going on? And you know, Loeb was one of the reasons that some of these big animated series are coming to Hulu from Marvel as well. So Jeff Loeb has done a lot for Marvel TV and Marvel Entertainment, and I hope that history looks back kindly on him for the things that he was able to accomplish in that role, which, you know, is always going to be overshadowed by Marvel Studios, and you understand why, because that's where the big-name characters reside, and that's where, you know, the big dollars are coming from. But what Jeff Loeb was able to do, especially with kind of the restrictor plate that he had put on him for certain things that he could and couldn't do or could and could not use, could and could not change. Man, the guy did a really, really good job at putting out some quality content. So I know that wherever he goes next, whatever he decides to do now, they are going to be in good hands, let me tell you. You know how when you're doing one thing, something else just sort of pops up while you're doing it? Well, that just kind of just happened recording the show here because now this just broke, as I'm recording this, by the way, A Hollywood reporter is saying that Marvel's Cloak and Dagger has been canceled by Freeform after two seasons. So what did I just talk about with Jeff Loeb exiting? That was one of his success stories. This is a show that dove into some deep, deep issues of, of, you know, mental health 
and sexual assault. And, you know, it was in a, at the same time, it was sort of a coming of age story, right? It was a deep family story. There was domestic violence issues that were talked about in there as well. This was an important show for so many reasons. And yet, I don't know, you know, I don't want to really overreact to this because I know that the ratings were down in season two. I get that. And just because good storytelling is there doesn't necessarily mean that you're automatically going to get another season. Okay, I can make my peace with that. But at the same time, it's almost like because it's almost like when, you know, a coach that gets in there and say, well, these aren't my players, so I'm going to get rid of them, get my people in here so we can do it my way. Do you do, you do that? If Do you cancel this just to cancel it? Because it almost now the good news is, at least the report says that we will still see Aubrey Joseph and Olivia Holtz, you know, Tandy and Tyrone in season three of Marvel's Runaways. So that is still going to happen because that crossover was going to happen regardless. But again, this is one of those things where it's like, hey, yeah, Kevin Feige coming in seems like a good idea. It seems cool at the time. But, you know, when you got your hands in absolutely everything, you might lose some stuff that you really didn't want to lose as a result of that. And, and there's really no reason to cancel this series. Quite frankly, it wasn't, you know, it was doing fine where it was on Freeform. There was nothing else that was, you know, really doing super, super well in that same time slot anywhere that was really blowing the doors off. And But you keep those and you don't keep Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. So it just seems a little odd to cancel this and to cancel it, by the way, before your crossover that you have with Marvel's Runaways, which I guess isn't going to be much of a crossover anymore because you know there there is no show to cross over with there it's it's gone now so you know you've got agents field shield coming into its lame duck season you've got the thing that happened with the ghost rider series not moving forward at hulu which i mean you revisit that and all of a sudden that starts to make sense doesn't it again happened under the old regime new regimes taking over and you know you get input on stuff like that before it actually happens so that could have been another casualty of this as well. And again, that's not to say that any of this stuff would work out, right? There's no saying that season three of Cloak and Dagger would have been any good. There's no saying that this Ghost Rider series would have been any good. But you just got to be careful. And you know what? There's such a thing as maybe having too much exposure to the MCU in TV and all this other stuff and animation and, and, and the movies as well. There might be an oversaturation. I know that seems ridiculous because I love the MCU just as much as you do, but there's also a uniqueness to it. And if you're seeing the same things over and over and over in every medium and you don't give yourself a chance to miss it, it loses, it could lose a little something. So just keep that in mind again. So really difficult to see cloak and dagger go. I, I did really, really like the show. I thought that it was a very different kind of superhero series. And in the young adult genre, I thought it was something that was, you know, really doing a lot of good, but apparently not good enough. Speaking of TV, we do have another comic book series to look forward to, this time from Boom Studios, according to Deadline. Grass Kings is going to be getting an adaptation from Legendary Television. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because it's it was the comic that was created by Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins. I think they're just shy of 20 issues of that comic, by the way. I think they've got about 18 issues, so correct me if I'm wrong on that. But, I mean, this is an Eisner-nominated series. If you don't know about it, it basically follows a character named Robert Pike. You know, it kind of creates a separatist society uh, in Alaska 
and kind of puts himself in there as the, you know, kind of the leader of the group. But, you know, his daughter was lost and murdered. There was something that was going on with his wife and something very creepy is going on in general. Is something's not quite right in this society that they're in as far as something that's being seen. I don't want to spoil it in case you're wondering. I'm trying not to spoil anything because I don't want to spoil a show that hasn't already happened. And I want you to read the comics if you haven't yet because they're really, really good. So it's a very, very interesting story. And no, no date's been given yet or anything like that. We don't know what network. We don't know when they're going to start filming or anything like that. But what what I can tell you is, is that this is a really interesting story to be brought to TV. Again, this is another one that, that just makes more sense on TV than it does anywhere else. And it's just, a di- again, a different kind of story that just is, is one that could be really, really interesting to tell. And finally, Boom Studios is on a little bit of a roll when it comes to adaptations as well. you got to keep that in mind. You know, They had some bad luck with the movie stuff when Disney took over 20th Century Fox and they had the first look deal. Now it's things are looking a little bit better. And, and of course, this with Legendary now, so they don't have to worry about being under the Disney umbrella for this one. But, you know, the, we remember Briggs Land from Dark Horse Comics? That was, you know, saying that was going to be adapted on AMC. We haven't heard anything about that in a while. So maybe Grass King's kind, kind of a similar, kind of a similar, you know, separatist society type story, but, but definitely in a different angle. So I'm wondering if we're going to see this one before we actually see Briggsland. I mean, I want to see both, but Grass Kings really is a good book if you haven't read it yet. Actually, I reviewed the first issue all the way back in 2017, so that gives you an idea of how long this thing's been been along. If you want more info, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. But, I mean, Grass Kings coming to almost any network is would be a great addition. It's a really, really funky and interesting story. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, I'm going to be talking to David Dusmalchin about, yeah, Count Crawley, Going to talk about Suicide Squad, Dune, a lot more next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is comic book creator Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So I've been waiting to talk to this guy for a long, long time because, I mean, well, quite frankly, he's done so much stuff. If I listed it all, the show would be over. So let's just talk to him about it. It's David Dustmalchen. Man, how you doing? Uh, I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on, man. I'm really excited. It's been um, an incredible week for for me as a nerd and as somebody who uh, loves telling stories. So I'm glad that we're on right now so we get a chance to talk about it. I'm ready to get down and nerdy. Man, I can only imagine. Now, you've been a part of so many great projects, and we'll get your TV and movie stuff here in just a second, but I know you're a lifelong comic book fan, so I know that Count Crawley is kind of a passion project for you right off the bat. But first, what, what are some of the comics that kind of growing up, growing up influenced you? You know, um, so many influences, but the the interesting thing, the first comic I ever got was off a spinning rack at a convenience store, and it was an Avengers comic, and I loved this idea, because I was familiar, all of us had seen cartoons of superheroes, you know, I'd watched like the Super Friends, or I'd seen the old Batman reruns, I knew that I thought, you know, superheroes were cool, Mm -hmm. that I liked superheroes, I just didn't understand how much I was going to like the Avengers 249 uh, had a really cool lineup of... um, Avengers facing down Maelstrom, I believe, was the the villain for that for that issue. And I and I just remember being so intrigued by not only just the art inside the story, but like every detail of it, the letters in the back, soapbox and things like the ads. And and so eventually when, you know, uh, spinning rack wasn't enough for me because I really liked some 
JLA issues that I found at that time as well, I ended up discovering the magic of a brick and mortar comic shop, which was for me in, in the neighborhood I lived in, not far from us was a place called Clint's South, Clint's Comics. It was in a mall. And um, once I wandered in there, it was all over. I mean, I started collecting detective comics and I really loved the Batman stuff. But, you know, eventually I would say my first monthly collection um, was the West Coast Avengers. Uh, I was a big fan of... Um, Hawkeye and Mockingbird and Tiger and Wonder Man and that whole gang of heroes. I thought they were really cool at that time. And then I started falling for Morbius, became a a favorite of mine. And and Moon Knight, there was a really cool run of Moon Knight going on at that time. Um, I was was really into Moon Knight. Firestorm was one of the first uh, heroes that I I, cut my teeth on. Yeah. And and we're talking like 85. For me, 85, 86, 87, and the run that was happening at that moment was so neat. The colors, uh, stories, everything was really vibrant. It was an exciting time for what was going on in D.C. That was around the time of the um, the Death in the Family series. I, as a reader and as a young kid, didn't totally understand that people like hated Jason Todd or that there right. was this like, call for his head. I just read it as this guy's you know surrogate father having to dig him out of the rubble after being killed by this guy who horrified and yet intrigued me, the Joker. And I, I like, I remember crying. I got that book and I was, I was, uh, I was really, um, devastated by it. Um, and it wasn't until much later that I realized like how many people didn't like that character. Cause I just, I thought he was cool. And, um, it probably because I was a kid and related to the idea of how neat it would be if I, if I was, um, if I was able to, you know, be the sidekick to one of the coolest people of all time. Um, and so, yeah, those were, those were some, I, 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 but the neat thing about a comic shop and which is why I think they're just so vital to culture and, and our, our not just comic culture, but like reading culture and, and the, the culture of imagination that comes with comic shops. Cause you don't just find comic books there. You find fan mags and you find mm-hmm. gaming stuff and you find posters and collectibles and all the other stuff that comes along with it. I think, there was something really neat for me about just digging around through long boxes and um, discount racks and finding things like old EC comics and pre-code comics and, and the magic of horror comics, which were a huge thing for me because I loved horror movies so much as a kid. And I found, you know, uh, werewolf by night and then, you know, things like, you know, uh, the, the house of secrets and, yep. and, Blood of Dracula, Tomb of Dracula, you name it. Um, so yeah, those were those were some of those early early on things um, that really that really grabbed me by the collar and 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 had me with my flashlight up late at night, you know, under the covers. You're definitely going to want to do that with Count Crawley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, too, if you haven't read it yet now. So let's talk about it a little bit. The way I kind of described Jerry in my review was that she's not a catch. But she's damn entertaining. So how would you describe her? <laughs> she is. She's a human being, man. And 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 yet, um, and yet, there is something just a little extra special about Jerry. And that little extra special thing that 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 ability that when you know a a a a, a surprise you know uh, attack happens upon her when something comes out of the darkness towards her. She's got this just this a- a extra little ability to maybe move a little quicker, duck a little faster. Her instincts are a little more heightened, but on top of that, she's just a, a human being, a completely, um, you know, completely 
uh, complex, complicated uh, human being who is at what we will call her bottom when the be- the story begins. I mean, she is at the lowest point of her life. She really struggles with, um, you know, self-destructive tendencies, which have manifest for her in alcoholism. And, you know, she's just basically somebody who has sabotaged every, you know, important relationship and um, is, is on kind of a war path right now of, of destructiveness. But yet at the same time, she's not, um, she's not a bad person. She's a, a actually a really wonderful, um, incredible loving person underneath all of the, the fire of, of, of self-loathing and self-destruction. And I think she's somebody who like so many of us has struggles with her own anxiety insecurity, depression, um, all of the trappings of being, you know, just a, a human being, it's just to the 10th power. Um, and, and I think she's just got this incredible wit and she's sarcastic and she's tough and yet intensely vulnerable at the same time. And um, I really love her, man. I've been, I've been thinking about her and, and, and dreaming her up for a very, very long time. And um, she's got a lot of, there's a lot of myself in there that, um, you know, the, the parts of myself that I really, you know, I'm insecure about the parts of myself that I'm proud of. And then she's also got a lot of the qualities of people who I know and are close to. Um, and again, the same thing, some of the really great, strong, uh, admirable qualities of people that I love and some of the qualities of people that I love who have a hard time, um, who have a hard time in the world. Yeah. And you know, she's somebody like, um, like, like, like so many of us who just, doesn't know what she's meant to be doing in this world. She believes she knows what she's meant to be doing, which is she believes she's meant to be a, 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 a journalist. She wants more than anything to be an investigative journalist and to be on television and to be a star reporter. But there's just another calling that is coming in her life. And, and when it shows up, um, I guess we'll have to just read the comic and find out <laughs> what happens. That's actually a good. That's a good piece of device. I think everybody should be doing that anyway. So let's let's just do that. And since Thanks, you answered Deanna. my, since you already answered my next question right there at the end, let's move to this one. You actually have like a playlist of songs that I saw for Count Crawley that's available right now. You can go to darkhorse.com and find that. And there was also an amazing trailer that you guys put out during the launch at Comic Con this year. Are there any other surprises that we can expect from Count Crawley as we go along here? <laughs> We just cut another awesome a trailer that I am so excited about. Um, there's going to be a video dropping very shortly, like within the next couple of days. And I hope everybody keeps their eyes peeled for that. We also, um, I'm very proud to announce, have a limited set of sketch cards that are incredible, mind-blowing, super talented. Like just the, the person who has brought Count Crowley to life in a way that supersedes any of my wildest dreams, uh, Lucas Kettner. He did these incredible sketch cards, which either are of Jerry or of an element from the comic, and they're one of a kind. He did them by hand, and there is going to be a um, uh, something announced shortly as to how you, uh, our faithful, down-and-nerdy listeners, can have an opportunity to get your hands on one. And I... I want one, so I will be listening as well uh, and and keeping, you know, refreshing my, my Google search of Dark Horse uh, to find out how I can get one because they're really neat. 
I would really like to think of all people you'd be able to get one, David. I mean, come on. You know, you would think so. You'd think so. I I actually had I was um I was working. So the comic uh went went live to the world yesterday. Um, digital downloads as well as obviously the only place that I that I think you should buy a comic, which is in a comic shop. But that's no, that's not true. I do I do actually read some digitally, but um. The, I was, I was, I was, I was really busy yesterday and I was freaking out because I needed to get my hands on a comic and my incredible wife drove 45 minutes, uh, cause the comic shop, this is a great feeling by the way, about 10 minutes from where we're staying right now sold out yesterday. Now I don't wow. know how many they were actually carrying, but I know a friend of mine bought one there and it was the last one that was on the shelf. And then my wife drove 45 minutes with our kids, um, so she could get one. And I'm, I'm doing a signing on Saturday at an awesome comic shop in Atlanta called Oxford comics on, um, that's Saturday, no, uh, October 26th. Um, so I will hopefully be getting a bunch more and dark horse is sending me, uh, some, they do give me, I think I get 10, uh, free copies. As, yeah. You get some comps. Creator, I, think, writer. Yeah. I think I get 10 comps. Yes. Um, but I feel like they're all spoken for already. Uh, everybody that, you know, has already, all my friends have been like, you better sign one, send it to me. So, right. Yeah. Um, yep. But it's a really neat feeling, uh, as you can imagine. Somebody who's been collecting and loves comics for this many years and to be dreaming up this character and this idea and this world for so long and, and to finally get to hold Count Crowley issue one in my hands and, and thumb through the pages was a uh, profoundly um, uh, emotional experience. I was actually, this is a couple of days ago, I was in Wilmington, North Carolina, and we had a, a a kickoff and signing event at an awesome comic shop called memory lane comics in Wilmington. And I, I was shooting, um, I was filming and I wrapped and I got, I went straight to the comic shop. Um, I was late for my own signing event and the place was packed. It was awesome. Everyone was so supportive. And I, and I walked in and, and dark horse had sent a, a box early to the guys at memory lane since we were going to have this event. And it was the first time I physically held uh, a copy of the comic wow. and it was uh it was pretty incredible that's awesome we're talking to david desmalchin who of course is the writer and creator of count crawley reluctant midnight monster hunter from dark horse comics but i mean i'd be remiss david if i didn't ask you about the other amazing things that you've got going on it's been a hell of a year for you actually a couple years actually but i definitely wanted to touch base with you about your upcoming work on the suicide squad now i know that you can't put out any spoilers you guys are filming and all that stuff but you're really no stranger to the dc universe so what's the most interesting thing to you about adding polka dot man to your roster of characters it's interesting um i you know what i i i can tell you that there's a lot of information that's out to the world right now that isn't uh always correct um so your question is an interesting one, which I actually don't know how, how to answer, but um, I will tell you that uh, I am uh, going to be a part of that project, and I'm very excited about that. And, uh, and in which way or in, in how, how much, in what fashion, I, that's something I really I can't answer. So I'm, I'm, very excited about, um, I'm very excited about the fact that that movie is happening and that um, James included my name on the the list of uh the people not uh what did it say don't get attached i think his post yeah that's exactly what he great. said yeah. um <laughs> uh, that was a good yeah. feeling yes but I, I i do think it's um 
it's it's going to be a fun couple of years for the build up for the release of that film because there's been James is a, a, an, a, just he, the storytelling has already begun in the sense that I think he's taking people on an adventure that is also a bit of a mystery and uh, and I think people um, should be wary of what is out on the interwebs uh, as to opposed to what is real and what is uh, you know uh what's not but yeah it's an exciting i mean it's an exciting time for all of us i'm sure you feel the exact same way the fact that in many ways those of us in the in in the world of fandom i think felt like um a great wrong was righted recently and that uh that james is going to be um completing his guardian's journey mm-hmm. um the way he was meant to uh that was news that really um that that really rocked me in the best possible way like i i was really really devastated when all that bs went down last year and i was so frustrated at the way that things happen sometimes and then knowing that he's going to be making that and the fact that he's going to be making the suicide squad i was just like god we're we get, we get, even though we had to go through a dark moment there, now the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is that um, we're going to get two incredible things from this, uh, from this experience, you know? Things just have a way of working themselves out, David. They do. They do. And I learned that um, many times over. I, you know, I, I, I don't know how much you know about me personally, but I was, um, you know, I struggled with addiction very seriously. Uh, I was a, a homeless heroin addict for uh, a number of years, and I um, it struggled very hard to get a handle on both my battle with addiction as well as my struggle with depression and anxiety. And I and I had to go through some very very dark, you know, in the famous line from The Dark Knight, but it really is true. You know, um, sometimes the night is the darkest just before the dawn, and I felt like I. Um, was going to give up many times and and now I'm sitting here, you know, getting ready to talking to you about it but getting ready to um, you know, uh go home tonight and read my my comic book again, you know, with my with my family and uh and I guess it's important for me to say that right now because I just don't know who's listening to us in our conversation, but I feel like anybody out there who feels like there's just um there's no point or if they feel like giving up or if they feel like, you know, you know, it, it really, you just gotta, you have to believe, um, you, you have to, and, and I promise it does get better. That's amazing, David. Thank I mean, thank you so much for, for sharing that. And absolutely, absolutely. You know, the, you never know who's listening and that's exactly the point. So I appreciate you opening up about that. I did want to touch base with you about another thing that you probably would be able to talk about a little bit more. And that is the fact that you're part of, one of the most amazing casts I've seen in this Dune movie that's going to be coming up. But now, my question to you is, let's take it from an angle of this, because again, we can't talk spoilers, but with with Star Wars ending this year, the Skywalker saga ending, and with fans kind of looking for something fresh in the genre, do you feel like this Dune movie could be the next big thing that kind of takes that and runs with it? Uh, I mean, absolutely, and it's it's a totally different world. Do you know what I mean? Like the, what, what's wonderful about um, about what's going to happen when people walk into a theater and they see, you know, Denis Villeneuve's interpretation of Frank Herbert's Dune um, is they're going to be taken to 
places that they've never experienced before. And it's going to be, you know, a, a science fiction epic, unlike anything that, that that's been done. And so I don't think anyone's ever going to, you know, fill in or replace or, you know, um, take the place of the incredible, um, you know, uh, uh, place at the table that, that the Star Wars universe has held for, you know, over 30 years now. And, and, and by the way, we'll probably continue. They can call this the, the end of a something or another, but I don't doubt that within another few years, there's, they're going to, there's going to be another, <laughs> what will it oh, be yeah. like now that they've said the, the last trailer uh-huh. the other day, I was thinking that's interesting because there's, there's going to be more trailers. Just, oh yeah. There's going to be uh, another, but I think that, um, What's wonderful about what with Dune and Frank Herbert's world too, as opposed to the Star Wars world, um, they are very different signs of the exploration of, mm-hmm. of what you can do with sci- science fiction. I mean, it was Star Wars um, in its mythic kind of qualities and in its um, almost ripped from the pages of comic book serial, um, you know, adventure stories um, world, which in and of itself, I mean, it, it is is such an incredible thing. Whereas I think that Dune um, will appeal um, to hopefully people of all ages, but it'll especially appeal to those of us who really love looking towards the, you know, the more esoteric, the philosophical, the the darker edges of what can be explored through sci-fi. And, um, and I think that the action and what's going to be achieved visually is going to be something that will leave jaws on the floor. Like this guy is just, he's just, he's so good, man. He's so talented and he doesn't, um, he doesn't leave any challenge untaken. He doesn't leave like any stone unturned when he's making a movie. I feel like he pushes every limit he possibly can. And, and a, and a, and a piece of, of, of literature as strong as Herbert's Dune needs that in a director. Absolutely. Now I know how big of a monsters fan that you are and, and, and the creepy stuff there, David. So before I let you go, I have to ask you this because there's been attempts, you know, many attempts at reviving the Universal Monsters movies in the past. Now, if you had a chance to be a part of one of those projects, either as an actor or even as a filmmaker, which one would excite you the most? I want to play Lawrence Talbot, um, the Wolfman. I would love an opportunity, and I and I want to do it um, in the very near future, to be honest with you. I've got a lot of ideas about how that story... Um, could be told in a way that is appealing and relevant and exciting and fresh and new. And I think that there is something really timeless about the werewolf mythology, but that also we could take to some new directions. And then I would love to write the, um, I would love to write the new, a new, a new stab at Dracula. I think, um, Dracula, like the universal pictures, um, classic, I think is, is definitely an, if not one of my favorite, one of my, it is one of my favorite films, not my favorite. Um, I believe that there is also a world that, um, that when I think about that book and I think about the movie that it inspired and the many movies that it inspired, there's a, there's a, there's a script there that I would love to be able to, um, see filmed at some point. So, so there you have it. There's my, there's my, there's my answer. I'd love to play, Larry Talbot, uh, and I would love to write a Dracula picture. And I, I have an idea of a way that, like, Frankenstein's monster and the Doctor, um, probably Jekyll and Hyde, um, and several other characters could eventually thread themselves all into 
similar plot lines because that's what Universal did back in the day once they had all these hits on their hands. They did have kind of an MCU of monsters. Mm -hmm. There was so many wonderful crossover events between creatures, and I would love to help be a part of that. Well, hopefully those things happen and more, but this guy's got so much going on. I'm going to take a deep breath, and we're going to go through some of this. Okay, Suicide Squad from (sighs) James Gunn hits theaters with David Desmalchin in August of 2021. You've got Dune coming out December 18th, 2020. You can also see David, by the way, in Hulu's Reprisal, which looks really, really neat. That's December 6th. Oh, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. Everybody listening, just watch all 10 episodes as soon as they come out December 6th. The show is so cool, man. You will really, really love it. It's unlike anything you've ever seen on TV before. It's why binge watching is a thing, quite frankly, is is the way I see it. And then if, if that's not enough, we talked about it right at the beginning. Make sure you're getting issue one of Count Crawley, Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter from Dark Horse Comics at your local comic book shop. And by the way, he was talking about the issues selling out. If you put it in your poll box, you won't have to worry about it selling out because it'll be in your box already. And again, the beauty of local comic shops. I mean, this guy's just done so much and so many amazing things. Great chance to get a chance to talk to him. David Desmulchin. Dude, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you. This has been awesome, man. And happy Halloween, everybody. Have an incredible haunting season. And um, thank you again for, for listening to our conversation and, um, and, and yeah, for checking out Count Crowley. I'd be really, really um, mean a lot to me. And if you get it, you pick it up, take a picture of yourself with it, tag me on Instagram. I'm trying to create a collage of all of my, my friends out there in the, in, in the, uh, in the world of nerddom who, um, who get into the comic. It mean a lot to me. Thank you, guys. So I love listening to David Desmolchin just then because, I mean, his enthusiasm is so infectious, isn't it? Not just for comic book culture, but for, you know, monsters as well and creepy stuff. And then you, you put that all into a blender and it's just this great concoction of someone who loves what they do, but also has a passion for the culture as well and things that he loved growing up and that he wanted to bring to life. And he's just lucky enough to be able to do it himself with so many great characters and so many great stories. And you heard all the things that he has coming out. That's just a fraction of what he's got coming, but make sure you put in count Crawley mid reluctant midnight monster hunter from dark horse comics in your poll box. You're going to want to read these issues. You already heard my review of the book earlier on in the show and you're not going to want to miss this. I just couldn't wait to share this interview with you guys because it, it was just so Incredible, and hopefully you get to go to some of the signings there that are in your area that he's doing as well. This is a guy that you can already tell is great to chat with, and hopefully you get a chance to do the same. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thanks to David Desmalchin for joining me this week to talk about Count Crawley and a number of other things as well. So make sure you keep up with what he's got going on. Go to downandnerdypodcast.com. I'll put it up there for you. Also, make sure you're getting your copy of Michael E. Uslan's book, The Boy Who Loved Batman. Go to www.iupress.indiana.edu. Use promo code BATMAN to get that 30% off of the book at checkout. You will not be sorry that you did. Make sure you're following along on social media with us as well at Down and Nerdy 757 on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook.com slash Down and Nerdy as well. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.